right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Hey, just uh, real quick, uh, we just want to just acknowledge our, our fathers here this morning. Dads, if you'll just stand just for a minute, and we just want to say thank you for being great dads, and we love you. God bless you. Give them all a hand, will you? Very good. Thank you. And uh, we have a little gift uh, for you, but we'll, we'll hand that out uh, towards the end of the service. Um, um, we don't want you playing with it during service, okay? All right, well, let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 17, please. Luke chapter 17, and we're going to continue where we stopped last week. Um, so as you're finding Luke chapter 17, I just want to just, uh, uh, with, with our students that are here that went to camp, and not knowing that a lot of them aren't here this morning, but if you went to camp and, and you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, will you, will you please stand? And we may not, anybody? All right. Awesome. I'm very proud of you and proud for you. God bless you. That's awesome. And, uh, and perhaps you went and you rededicated your life to the Lord. Could you stand, please? Any of those? Nicole, good. Okay. And then we know we have um, um, Sam um, and Dimitri that, uh, that, that gave their life to full-time ministry, but is there anybody else that did that? All right. Wonderful. All right. Luke chapter 17, here we go. And remember, we're talking about we care, and, 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 and if we're going to care, we have to understand that humility for a Christian plays a key role into that. Everybody listen. If, if humility is not practiced in your life, then you're never going to be what all that you can be as a Christian. And so, and so as we looked at these verses and talking about humility, we're talking about the four marks of true humility. And so here are some marks that every born-again believer must have. And I, and I have to say is that this is, again, a discipline that we don't often practice. And, and we get caught up in our own culture. We get caught up in our own examples that we see and we pass right over these four marks of humility. And so when we come to Luke chapter 17, we often just look at this text as that of forgiveness. But if we look close, and as we looked close last week, and we'll notice again this week, that it really is not just about forgiveness, because forgiveness is just one mark of humility. But there's, there's, there's other marks of humility, and we discovered what those were last week. And so let's look at them. Luke chapter 17, verse 1. Point number one, here's the first mark, and, and, and here's going to be what fruit you have in your life, if you, you should have in your life, because we're all to be marked by humility. You know, I, I love what Dimitri said this morning about, you know, okay, the first night, 128 people just rededicated, got saved, and then what if, what if that would happen? What if one-eighth of his class, what if they got saved? What kind of difference would that have on the whole class, and what kind of impact. You know, but you know, to, to, to be that kind of person, you first have to have humility. And I believe the reason we don't get done a lot of what we got to get done is because we just don't really practice true humility as Christians. Everybody? Amen? And so, so number one, the first mark, he says, is restrain from offending. Okay? Everybody listen. Stop yourself from offending other people. Keep your mouth shut sometimes. Stop offending people. And, 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 and here it is. And so we're not going to go over this. This was last week. 
But, you know, you know, the Bible says, who, you who are mature, you know, give heed to those that are not. In other words, there's going to be some young Christians, but because there's liberty in Christ, sometimes we have to forego that liberty that we have in Christ and do what we want to do because there are others, and it could cause others to stumble in Jesus Christ. The empty words that we say, the, 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 the eye roll that we do, that offends others. And believe it or not, sometimes it takes those little things to keep people from, A, coming to Christ, or B, um, you know, just, just their walk with Christ. It's a, it's a stumbling block. It sets, sets traps for them. Again, that Greek word scandalon, that trap. And so, number one, restrain from offending. Look at it. He said to his disciples. Now, remember, the Pharisees are there. This is point, counterpoint. He's, he's teaching the disciples. In other words, that's everyone who's following around. And within that group, there are Pharisees. And they are the ones who Jesus is using as example in this point, thus counterpoint to the Pharisees, because they were the greatest hypocrites. They were the greatest ones who were causing people to trip up. They were the ones that were saying that Jesus Christ was not God. They were the ones that were following Christ around when he was teaching and doing miracles, and they were saying ugly things. They were telling them that, uh, that everything he does is through Satan. And so, again, so they're, they're, they're tripping up all of those who could come to Christ as their Savior. And so he says... It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come. That means that, ladies and gentlemen, traps are going to come. Stumbling blocks are going to come. Offenses are going to come your way. Everybody say amen. They're going to come. They're going to come no matter what, whether it's from someone like the Pharisees or whatever else. We live in a fallen world, and stumbling blocks are going to come. And so, so sub-point to that point of do not give offenses, don't take offense. I was thinking about this, and... Uh, you know, um, have you ever has, well, I'll just say it like this. I, you know, being a pastor for 17 years, um, you know, I've, I've, I've had people come up to me or write me letters, and, and they say, um, Pastor, um, um, I need you to forgive me. And I'll say, I forgive you. I don't know what I'm forgiving you for, but I forgive you. And then that never, it never fails, then they'll want to say, well, um, I did this and this and this and this and this and this. And, and you know, the truth is, I would be better off not knowing any of that stuff. You know, can I have an amen? I, I would just be better off not knowing that stuff. And so, and so, yes, there's this thing about not causing someone else to be offended, but you know what? At the same time, we need to make sure that, you know, that we don't offend others, but that when do, people do offend us, Let's just not be a people who gets offended that easily. Everybody say amen. Just, 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 I mean, second point, you know, is, is be ready to forgive. Be ready to forgive. Be ready to forgive. There's two kinds of sin that trespasses against us. There's that conditional, there's that unconditional, but we'll talk about that here in a second. All right? And look, look at what it says about this who um, offends others. So if you're one who offends others, we say things to people, whether it's a younger Christian or an older Christian or not a Christian at all, but if we're one that brings offense that causes people to stumble, it may be words that you speak, it may be whatever it may be, it may be things that you do, gossiping, whatever it may be, here it is, and this is, this is it. If you're, if you're, listen to what it says, and here's, and here's what God is saying. It would be better for that person who caused someone to stumble it would be better for that person if a millstone were hung around his or her neck and were thrown into the sea. 
In other words, it's better off if you're if you're like if you just be executed today than to offend and to offend and cause someone to stumble. You think God's serious about this? Again, a millstone was a 2,000-pound rock. You think you can get that off and go thrown in the bottom of the sea? Look at what it says here. Then that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Who are the little ones? They're not talk, it's not talking about infants. It's not talking about children. It's talking about believers. It's talking about believers. They were young believers. So listen, the next time your gut wants to say something, that could possibly offend another child of God, you bring this verse into mind and just don't say anything at all because it, 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 it's better for you to be executed on the spot than to offend one of God's little ones. You know how that works? I hear about something, and it's second or third-hand knowledge, and so I call Betty Betty, and, and I talk, talk to her, and, and I gossip, and that gossip. You know what that does? That offends people, and God says it is better for you that a millstone be hung around your neck and you be plunged. It's better to be executed than for one of God's little ones to be hurt, all right? Point number one. Point number two is be ready to forgive And we see that in verse 3 and 4, and that's as far as we're going to get again today. But it says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins again, you, and and, and if he sins against you seven times a, a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. All right, let's pray. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, um, We just pray that uh, we'll take your absolute truth this morning and that we'll just hide it into our hearts, into our minds, and that we'll live this in such a way. But, Lord, that we'll all be convicted about humility, about humility, about, um, about how we can best and more better represent our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, I pray if there's any here that's never accepted Christ as Savior, I pray this morning that they'll come. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that's that's guilty of offending others or, or guilty of not being ready and eager to forgive, God, I pray that just the Holy Spirit this morning through the words that are spoke, that their hearts will be changed and that their lives will just be so much more simpler. We love you and we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. So what we see here from this text is this. This is what we're going to talk about just for a few minutes this morning. But it says, be on your guard. Be alert. Look around. Look around your surroundings. He says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. So the first thing I see, and we talked about it last week, was is that I see that as Christians, we should have a disdain, a disdain, a hatred towards sin. We're not to hate the sinner, but, but, but look, we're, we're, to hate, we're, to, we're to hate sin. You, you hear me? What is, does, does God hate sin? Absolutely, he hates sin. He can't look upon sin. And, and again, I think what we've done over all of our years is, is we've become just so tolerant of sin. And we're not going to go into what sins, but I think as a, as a society, we have become so tolerant in sins. But what I see here is he says, be alert. He says, if you see a brother in sin, he, says, he, said, he said, rebuke him. We're to have a hatred for sin. And again, not a hatred for the sinner, but, but, but often to... Times, you know, what we do, we get to is that it just doesn't affect us anymore. We become, we become used to it. But we're to, we're to hate gossip. 
We're to hate anger. Uh, you know, we're to hate drunkenness. We're to hate those who call uh, against God. We're to, we're to have a hatred against sin. You name the sin, and we're to have a hatred for it. Because why? Because we don't want that sin to infiltrate us. And if we have a healthy disdain or a hatred for it, we won't let it come near us. And I think that's why so many people get tripped up so often is because we become so so intolerant about sin is that we've let it to get closer and closer and closer to us until the temptation is so strong that it takes us in. I'm just saying if we would just have a healthier perspective and have that disdain of sin, maybe we wouldn't get caught in some of these things that we get caught up into that causes sin in our lives. Amen? Is that true? Okay, now, so now we see in verse 3, if he repents, forgive him. So number one, we see here that there is a conditional sin to be forgiven. And so if someone sins against you, um, you rebuke that person, you go to that person in love and truth, and you say, look, what you're doing here is wrong, and this is what God's words say, and you do that in love, and then they repent, what does it say? Forgive them. And then if he comes back seven times a day and he repents, what do you do? Yeah. You say, man, that's a lot to ask for me, from me, God. I, I, that's a lot to ask. Well, no, not really. Just look how many times a day you have offended God, how many times you sin against God. I don't think it's much at all. What do you all think? So that's the conditional. But we want to talk more about the unconditional this, this, that is, is that we're to be eager to forgive, eager to forgive. Now, the Lord calls us to be forgivers. He, he's to be forgivers in exact opposition to the way that the world thinks and functions because our world is dominated by pride. And so we are, on the other hand, called to be humble, selfless, and therefore forgiving, and again, we understand that in Scripture, three times in the Bible we read, God gives grace to the humble. That's in Proverbs and James and 1 Peter. And then twice in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14 and verse 11 and chapter 18, verse 14, Jesus said, everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Scripture constantly calls calls on us to be humble, and out of that humility comes a heart of forgiveness. So verse 3 and 4, and so it's saying to us that humble believers do not sin against others, and neither do they hold grudges when others sin against them. And it says that humble believers do not give offenses, neither do they take offense. And that is really what this verse is saying, isn't it? Let me ask you something. Let me ask you something. Would your life be more manageable, more simple, more enjoyable if you didn't offend and if you didn't take offenses? Think about it for a minute. Who, who, who's been offended this week by something that someone said or by something that someone's done or something that what you heard and you was on Facebook or whatever and you got offended? And, and just, th just everybody's laughing. <laughs> uh, but I think all of us could probably say that. But, you know, for different people, it does different things to them. But just think, guys, if you would just not let that offense take root in your heart and that immediately, right away, you was eager to forgive and you could just really forgive. In other words, it may not be reconciliation, 
but you forgave, just think how much more joyful your day would be and how much more manageable your day would be. Hey, listen, we need to be ready to forgive. We need to be forgivers. We need to be eager to forgive. And yes, when, when someone comes and we have that conditional forgiveness, and, and sometimes we have to rebuke, we have to be willing to do that out of, out of love and out of grace. But look, a lot of things what happens to us is an unconditional forgiveness that we're supposed to give. We're just to be eager to forgive. And again, what's the difference between a conditional and unconditional? Well, if, if a sin's committed that, that, that was premeditated or that's open, or that's something that is habitual, that is what is it, that's what requires a conditional forgiveness. That's when you have the responsibility of going to somebody and saying, hey, this is going on, and it's going on all the time, and you're doing this on purpose, and hey, look, this is not what the Word of God says. And so that's that, that's that, that's that loving rebuke. And then when you lovingly rebuke that person, they repent, then you what? Forgive them. But then there's that unconditional, again, where it was something happens, you just automatically, you're just ready to forgive. Someone rolls your eyes at, their eyes at you, you just forgive them. Instantly, right then, right there, you just forgive that person. You just, you, because we said it last week, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Joe and Bernice, how long y'all been married? Oh, my gosh. 70 years? Give the Lord a hand. 70, 70 wonderful years. And we kind of used this last week, but some of you weren't here. And, and, you know, they didn't get to 70 years of marriage by rebuking each other every single day. They're, they wouldn't have lasted, you know? No, because they love each other, sin covers a multitude of sins. Love covers it. And, and, and they just were eager to forgive each other. You know, for my wife and I, almost 30 years, you know, look, you know, if we would spend all of our time rebuking each other, I mean, it just wouldn't have made for a good good home life, would it? We probably wouldn't be married today, but because I love you and she loves me, love covers a multitude of sins, and that's how it has to work for us. Everybody say amen. All right, turn to me with, with me, please, to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, and I want to show you how this forgiveness works, Okay. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. And whether it's conditional or unconditional, this is how it works. And we all understand that when we don't forgive somebody, what happens to us then? The person who's not forgiving, we get bitter. And then our hearts get hardened. And, and then it's just we, we become prisoners to that emotion. And that's no fun because it's, you're not hurting someone else by not forgiving them. You're hurting yourself. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, and he says, Brethren, so we're talking in the family here. Brethren, we're talking in the family. And you know, local churches need to practice this. If we're going to have a healthy church, this is what we need to practice. Galatians chapter two, or chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Brethren talking about the family, even if a man is caught in any trespass. Now, pay attention to the word caught. This word caught, the idea of being caught here is a fall. It's the fallenness. It's someone who got tripped up and who fell. So that word caught means that they fell, that, they, that, that, some, that some sin, some temptation tripped them up and caused them to fall. Now, everybody look at me. 
we're all human, every single one of you. You look to the next person, and that person's no different to you because that person's a human, and they're born in this world, and this world is, is, a, is, is a sinful place. And so, so when you see your brother fall, you could be right behind him. You could, you, could, you could fall right next to him because every person in this room, because we live in a fallen world, is one step away from falling. But it's a fall. This word caught is talking about a fall. And again, literally the word means being tripped up or it means being trapped. It, here's what it means. You didn't see it coming. It, it wasn't premeditated. You got trapped into this. You got drawn into this. And you stumbled into this, and you fell into this. To this person who has been tripped, now look at what it says. We're in the family here, right? You who are spiritual. Now, that would be those who are walking in the Spirit, as defined in the previous chapter, chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. You remember that? So it's talking about that type of person. Then look what it says. You who are spiritual, what does it say next? Restore such a one. Who's that one? It's the person who fell. It's the person who got trapped. It's the person who, 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 was, who, who was tricked. Now, this word restore, it means to mend. It means to repair it has to do, if you look in the Greek and it gives, it gives the word picture, it's a, of a broken bone, that's a bone that's being mended. So that word restore means to mend or repair. And then notice it says here in the spirit of what? Gentleness, spirit of gentleness. And that's that progatos, that's a spirit of humility. Underline that, write that next into your margin. That is talking about the spirit of humility. And so when you see somebody that falls into a sin, and it says, you who are spiritual, you mend that person and you restore that person, you do it in a spirit of humility. You don't offend, you don't ignore them, you don't push them into a deeper sin, you forgive them. That's how you mend a person. And whether it's conditional or unconditional, whether there's rebuking or whether you just forgive, you're eager to forgive. You realize that because we're all human and you could have been tripped up as well. And in that way, verse 2, it says, look at it, it says, you bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? Tommy? Love. Love is the law of Christ. So that's what it's talking about, the law of Christ. You, you do it because you love them. You fulfill the loving attitude that you should have towards your brother or sister in Christ by bearing the difficult burden of being human and stumbling into sin. Why? Because we can all be there tomorrow. And we want the others to do that for us. You know, the whole idea is, on the conditional, if you rebuke somebody and they refuse, that's a whole different sermon. But you know what I found is that 99 out of 100 people who you, who you rebuke or who you just forgive, they all come back around because of God's grace and his mercy. Isn't that good? We all have the, and this burden here, I mean, I, I love this. It's, it's the word baros in the Greek, and it talks about a heavy load and that it's hard to carry. 
And what it's talking about here is it's hard to walk in this world because of the temptation, because of the scandalons, because of the traps, because of this being a world that is that is depraved. It's, it's hard, and that's a burden that we all have to carry. And so that's why we're to help carry each other this burden because this place is a hard place. And so, so, so we help each other. We help each other carry that burden so when they do fall, in the law of Christ, we love them and we forgive them and we're not hypocrites like the Pharisees. We're not the ones out setting traps. We're not the ones leading people into sin. We're helping people lead people out of sin. So carrying each other's burdens, that burden is, is, is again, it's talking about this burden that we all carry, that you, you, you all carry of walking in this world because we can all fall and trip just like that. We don't judge each other. We don't condemn each other is what I'm saying. But in the law of Christ, in love, in the spirit of humility, and that characteristic of humility is forgiveness. We forgive that person. Four quick points, and I'm not going to be long because there's not a whole lot more I can say. But four quick points. Four reasons to forgive. Four reasons to forgive. Number one, forgiveness is the most godlike act act a person can ever do. Um, when we were back in De Quincey in, in my first pastorate, I don't know what happened, but but our church went through um, a time, and looking back at it now, is this really a time of growth for us? That we persevered despite some hard things that happened within our congregation. But we had four um, high school girls um, get pregnant within a two-year period of time. You remember that, Tommy? And I remember some people were saying, they'd come to my office and said, you know, after the first one and the second, they said, Pastor, we need to do something about this. They need it. They, you know, because they, you know, once they come out, we know they come into church. And so they'd come to me and say, Hey, those girls need to get up on that stage, and 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 they they need to publicly repent of their sin, and and so this wasn't habitual, you know, it it wasn't something they kept doing. What they needed was forgiveness, because again, this burden of walking in the world. And so I I told I told that person I said I tell you what, um um you go first, and then we'll let someone else go after you, okay. My whole point to that is that what those girls needed was forgiveness. They needed someone eager and ready to forgive them and, and because they are the part of the body of Christ. And, yes, different sins call for different things, conditional, unconditional. We, we, we get that. And I had, you know, as the pastor, I had conversations with them, and they, they were repented, and so we did forgive them. But I'm going to tell you something right now. Those four girls who, who did that and that we loved and that we helped carry the burden of, all four of those girls are still serving the Lord Jesus Christ in that church with their families doing great. You know why? Because we loved them. You know why? Because we restored them in the spirit of humility. We weren't Pharisees. We loved them. They repented, and we loved them. It's important. We have to be eager to forgive. Why? Because you're never more like God than when you forgive. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 to 46, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, 
this. He says, I say to you, love your enemies. <laughs> love your enemies. What does that imply? That implies forgiveness. Am I right? He says, he says, pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So you are, you, you are like your God when you pray for those who persecute you. That's those who inflict damage upon you. You, you are like your Father who is in heaven because he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good. Look, he sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. The Bible says, for if you love those who love you, what your reward have you? Do not even the tax gatherers do the same. Look, loving enemies, forgiving enemies is God-like. You're never more like God when you forgive. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Look, you forgive just like God in Christ has forgiven you. And the next verse says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. Number two, we have to understand that whoever has offended you, look close, whoever has offended you has offended God more. Okay? You know what that means, Joanne? That means if I offended you, I offended God more when I offended you than than what I offended you. So then why do we want to harbor these feelings and think we're so super that we have to go through this drama to forgive someone when the really the person who's been offended is God and the Bible says that God forgives that person. And who in the heck are we that say we're not going to forgive somebody, that we're not going to be eager to forgive somebody? Because the greater person that was offended wasn't you. It was God. And that's why our hearts should be to that person to be eager to forgive them so that we then don't become a stumbling block to them. Amen? I mean, that's even our worst of enemies. You know, I remember when Obama was reelected as president. I heard people say, boy, I can't pray for him. Well, you've got to pray for, for all those and stay not in opposition of us that, cause, that, that could cause us to, to ever fall or to stumble. Everybody say amen. All sin is not against you. All sin is against God. All sin isn't against me. All sin. All sin is against God. And if we just have that perspective, I think that we could live a more manageable life. Someone offends you, that's a sin against God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But what happens is, is we want to take the vengeance. We, we want that person to hurt. We want that person to come to us and say, say they're sorry. All we're hurting is ourself. And, and yes, when someone sins, there should be rebuking. And if they don't, then you send two more people. If that doesn't work, you send, you send more people. If that doesn't work, you bring them to the church and you, and, and you go through it. But we're, talking, but, we're, but we're talking about being eager to forgive. And we need to be eager to forgive. And again, that's what we should be striving for because all sin is not against us. All sin is against God. Because he's God. Do you know why that's true? Do you know why that I can sit here and say that when someone sins against me, 
that it's that it's not against me, but it's against God. You know why? Do you know you know you know you know what that theological idea of that is? Is this is because I'm no better than that person who sinned against me. I'm I am unholy. I am I, I I'm only clean positionally in in Christ because of what He's done for me. But 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 in my sanctification, that can change from day to day. But positionally, the justification, I'm good. But listen to me. But 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 why that sins against God? And yes, that person and sin towards me, but I can't take that too personal. You know why? It's because I'm a holy person. But why it's against God is because God is the holy one. God is the perfect one, not me. Not me and not you. Does that make sense? Number three, number three, why we should forgive. Failure to forgive results in divine chastening. You know, we saw, we didn't see it, but just real quick, in Matthew chapter 18, we preached on it about a year ago. Matthew chapter 18, we saw that there was a servant. Um, um, we saw there was a servant, and, and um, he couldn't repay his master back. And so the master, which is the story is God, forgive that person of everything. And then, so he was relieved, and he, he goes back to his house, and then there was, there was, there was, there was someone who, who owed him a bunch of money. And so that servant um, didn't forgive that person. Instead, he held him accountable for all, for all those things. You remember that story? Well, you know, we have to understand that failure to forgive results in divine chastening because that man in the story was turned over to the torturers, turned over to the tormentors. This is a picture of discipline. Listen close. Where God exacts out of him everything he can get, even though he is a forgiven child. And this kind of divine spanking that can go on for a long time to those who will not Forgive. If you are holding on and holding a grudge against somebody, what we're saying here is that you're opening yourself up to the chastening of the Lord. Now, again, um, you know, you're justified. You know, you're not going to lose your salvation, but you can be chastened by God. James chapter 2, verse 13 says, Judgment will be merciless to those who show no mercy. Discipline from God, chastening comes to those who do not forgive. And then lastly, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Oh, you're, you're going to go to heaven. Yes, we're not talking where your justification stands, but then there's that part um, that, 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 that those sins that we commit of not forgiving others, they'll be, we, we won't receive our rewards in heaven. We'll have that chastening here on earth from the Lord. And until a believer forgives, he remains in a temporal sense of being unforgiven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 15. And while in an eternal sense we are forgiving, that in our justification, in a temporal sense, we can be in a condition of being unforgiven in our sanctification. So in one sense, all my sins are forgiven because Christ paid the penalty in full. But in another sense, as I go through this world in sin, God will not continually forgive me on that parental level, on a temporal level, which opens a blessing and joy to me unless I am forgiving others. If I bear grudges and bitterness and hold back forgiveness, then, then I am going to feel the chastening of the Lord.
we have to be sure that we don't offend others. We have to be sure that when we are offended, we're eager to forgive. We got to be eager to forgive, whether it's conditional or whether it's unconditional. God's people forgives. And that's truly what sets us apart. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you this morning. And Lord, we thank you for um, loving us. And we thank you for forgiving us of our sins. And that, in that positionally, we're perfectly justified that you paid the price for us. And Lord, I, I pray this morning that if there's someone here that's, that's never experienced salvation, eternal salvation, Lord, that if they, have unre- if they have sin in their life and they've never called upon you to be their Lord, Master, and Savior, that they've, they've maybe got the, the words in their head, but they don't have it in their heart and, and they don't have the fruit, that, Lord, I pray this morning that you'll convict them of that and that you'll bring them to the altar as we give the invitation and that, Lord, we can just take them aside and love on them and encourage them and show them that there's a new life, an abundant life in Jesus Christ. And, Lord, I pray for the rest of us. Um, including me and everybody, Lord, that we don't walk around um, with bitterness, with unforgiveness, Lord, but instead that we'll make sure this morning that we're forgiving people eager to forgive. And that we're a people who understand that um, it takes great strength not to offend others our weaker brothers and sisters in Christ, or perhaps those who never even has come to to grace yet, but that we all have a testimony and it all affects other people. We ask you to bless this invitation, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning, please.